efforts from people and projects is humans end up abusing the system. And so <laughs> we've really made it so that you can't because we're going to blow that away by design. And so you really have to force yourself to ask yourself, how can I run this differently? And it ends up being more production ready and less hacky, in my opinion. Hello, and welcome to DevOps Sauna. Kubernetes has become the de facto standard for container orchestration. All of the cloud providers have their own solutions for Kubernetes. But what do you do when you're on-prem? Today, we've invited Andrew Reinhard from Sidero Labs to talk about Talos Linux. Welcome. Hello, and welcome to DevOps Sauna. My name is Mark. I'll be your host today. Today, we have a really fascinating program. We have Andrew Reinhard from Sidero Labs to talk about Talos Linux. Here, I have my usual cohort, Andy Allred. Hello. And nice to see you, Andrew. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's really fantastic to have you on the program. So we have been excited about Talos Linux and have been uh, looking at it with some of our customers. And it's, it's great that we could have you on the podcast today. Let's start, Andrew. Would you like to tell us what is Talos and Talos Linux? What is the problem that you're trying to solve? Sure. Um, it's, it's really hard to summarize it because, uh, you know, to me, it's so many things. I mean, as you could tell from the name of it, it is Linux. It is a Linux distribution, but it does so much more than that. What it is, is a Linux distribution that has been built for the purposes of running Kubernetes. And there's a lot behind that, right? We've done a lot to make the operating system completely aware of Kubernetes, behave like Kubernetes to deploy Kubernetes. So in some way you can almost call Talos a Kubernetes distribution as well. Some people do tend to call it that, but it is just upstream vanilla CNCF certified Kubernetes. So it's really hard to put it in a single basket because it does a lot. Yeah, when I was introduced to Talos, it was kind of uh, looking around for a Kubernetes distribution to run on-prem and of course, uh, security and whatnot was was important and i heard about this kubernetes distribution called talos and i started looking at it and thought well that's not really a kubernetes distribution at all it's kind of an operating system <laughs> but it's not just an operating system so what is this <laughs> exactly exactly it's it's a little bit of all the above it is certainly a paradigm shift of how you think about Linux. Um, another way that I like to put it is you can almost imagine Kubernetes as sort of a distributed kernel, if you will, a way to run user space across multiple machines. And Talos is the underlying CPU and RAM that supports this distributed kernel. Our whole vision with Talos is to allow you to not have to think about individual nodes, but rather see the cluster as a whole, as a giant machine. And so one of the ways that we kind of put it to people is your machines are simply CPU and RAM. And Talos Linux, it's there, but it's also not there. And that's the whole thing about it. So yeah, it just really allows you to focus on, on Kubernetes. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why we've done what, what we've done in the design of Talos to get to that goal of allowing you to focus on Kubernetes. There's a reason why we have a strong security footprint. It's because, you know, to really truly forget about the node, it has to be secure, has to do almost nothing. It has to go away and not be a problem on many different fronts. And so we go to great lengths to make that that happen. Yeah, when I was kind of uh, bringing up this topic with Mark, he was asking, so what is it? And I came up with the analogy that it's a way to treat your bare metal servers and virtual machines like containers. That's actually a really, really great description because, I mean, we've, we've even modeled how upgrades work in Talos um, after how upgrading a pod in Kubernetes works in that you get a whole entirely new file system, a whole new container, and that is an upgrade. So even our upgrades, since Talos runs completely in RAM, the way that that would work is we actually completely blow away everything underneath the running operating system, install a new version of Talos, and then reboot into that version. So it's like you got a brand new pod or a brand new container. So all of these paradigms, you're very much right. Andy, is that 
we want you to look at the machine and, and all the things that we love about running our applications in Kubernetes. We want to bring that down to your actual infrastructure. So you talked about the CPU and the RAM and running everything from memory. Do you use the disk for anything? How much do you persist on disks? Yeah, so um, maybe I'll step back a little bit. Let me just expand maybe a little bit on Talos, and that might set the stage a little bit for, for things. So Talos, at the end of the day, is a Linux kernel that we maintain and an init RemFS that has a SquashFS embedded into it. And we chose the SquashFS because the read-only nature of it. Talos, for the most part, is read-only. But in practice, you can't have an entirely read-only operating system. Things need to write somewhere. I mean, at the most basic example, slash temp is assumed to always be writable. The file system hierarchy standard is actually an official thing, and there's a whole directory tree that you need to have to be compliant with it. But we've made decisions to have some of those paths be completely backed by tempfs's. Let's just take slash Etsy, for example. EtsyResolve.conf, I think, is a really, really great example because this file needs to change in order for, you know, it's the it's a tr traditional place that applications and Linux itself goes to look for networking configuration. If your whole entire operating system is read-only, how do you actually make this thing dynamic based off of DHCP? So what we do is we have one directory, which is persistent, which is slash var. This directory is backed by a disk. Anywhere else that is writable within Talos is completely ephemeral. It's a tempfs. So what about places where, you know, like I'm saying for etsyresolve.conf that need to change based on DHCP supplied options. What we do is we actually write files into slash var, and then we bind mount them over the file in the read-only file system. So it's a little bit different than how you've seen, say, CoreOS do it, where they've decided to just make, you know, maybe 70% of the read uh, the file system read-only, but then slash etsy is completely writable. We've decided to go even, you know, 10 steps further and make as much as we can read only, but only what is required can be changed using these bind mounts. And even then, we don't even allow people to change those files because Talos is purely API driven and configuration driven. You have to submit networking settings in our required format to the API and we'll manage etsyresolve.com for you. Very long-winded answer to what is writable, but I think that um, you know goes to show that we really do try to make this thing as read-only as possible, but slash var is the only thing that is writable, and not just for the purposes that I've already outlined, but Kubernetes needs a place to put things, etcd needs a place to put things, containerd. If you're ever using rook, varlib rook is a directory that gets stored, stashed with all kinds of things. But the unique thing about this as well is we don't want people to be dependent on this persistent storage. So... What we do is on upgrades, like I was saying, Talos runs completely in memory. We actually blow away everything on the disk and reinstall as if it was a fresh machine. So this label, this label on this partition that's mounted up in slash far is called ephemeral. That's what we label it as. And it's for a good reason. It's because we don't want you to become dependent on that. If you need something that persists even across upgrades, use Rook. Add some disks to your machines and use Rook. So it's really pushing people into a, um, like I said, become less dependent on the node. We want that thing to almost be like it's not there. And typically what prevents these sort of efforts from people in projects is humans end up abusing the system. And so <laughs> we've really made it so that you can't because we're going to blow that away by design. And so you really have to force yourself to ask yourself, how can I run this differently? And it ends up being more production ready and less hacky, in my opinion. So you're dragging people kicking and screaming into cloud native way of thinking and and pets versus <laughs> cattle. Yeah, I, I hope that they're not kicking and screaming. I think at first they definitely kick and scream because Talos is a it does have a learning curve. But uh, I think per people, you know, give them a few days and give them a little bit of time with it, and then they walk away like wow, this is 
this is actually how it should be done. So, you know, we're slowly converting people to our way of thinking and uh, it's catching on. Yeah, I say dragging people kicking and screaming because that's exactly how it was with me at first. As you'd (laughs) said, at first I was like, no way, this can't work. This is the dumbest thing ever. But based on the people who recommended it to me, I decided I need to look into this a little bit further. And the more I looked, I was like, well, actually okay, this is actually a good idea. This actually works pretty well. And those limitations aren't really limitations. They're they're more like benefits. Yeah, they just force you to think about things a little bit differently. And I think us as an industry, we've sort of gotten into a groove, which which is good, right? Good things certainly come. And as they say, you don't ever want to reinvent the wheel. But I do think uh, the wheel could be refreshed every now and then with, you know, new designs of tread and and whatnot. And that's sort of what we're doing. It's a new paradigm and way of thinking about things. And there's a, there's a common misconception and a, people always come to us asking, well, how would I do this or how would I do that? And if you just look at Kubernetes as your package manager, you can get 98% of that done. Just run a daemon set if you need something to run on every node or run a deploy. There's so many things that you could do in Kubernetes. I'm not recommending you do everything in Kubernetes. I've done things in Kubernetes you probably shouldn't, um, and I never will again do. But you you just think about things a little bit differently in Talos, and I think ultimately you walk away from it learning something and really appreciating everything that we've done to make you think that way. So how did this come about and how did you how did you end up developing this? It probably didn't just spring from your head fully formed one day in the shower, but <laughs> No, no, it certainly didn't. Um so I was working at a place and I was tasked with um moving our applications into Kubernetes. And so it was an opportunity for me to really deep dive into Kubernetes. And I'm sort of the type of person when I deep dive, I really deep dive. I got into being a contributor of KubeADM and, you know, joining what was called the SIGs at the back then and really doing as much as I can to learn about Kubernetes, help develop Kubernetes and uh, just, you know, jumping headfirst in and really enjoying it. But I started very quickly seeing that there were a lot of things in Kubernetes that needed to be done that also had to be done uh, had to be done at the operating system level. So user management, um, securing it, you know, access controls, all of these things. It's sort of double the work as an operations engineer. I had to do all these things in Kubernetes, but then I also had to do it in the operating system. And then I found that if one of my coworkers were to hop onto our box and change something, that actually trickles up into affecting how Kubernetes behaves. And so what I thought was I needed a way to get humans off of these machines so that we can have a consistent substrate for Kubernetes to run on. I'm a very, very strong believer that in distributed systems, if you don't have consistency across your machines, you're just asking for trouble. There's just so many little caveats here and there that you're going to have to be aware of. Eventually, your clusters become these clusters that no one wants to touch because in the operations world, it's it's working. Don't don't touch it. Don't even say it, or the operations gods are going to hear you, and you know you're going to get paged at two a.m. And I wanted to kind of do away with that, and I just found that you know, surprise, surprise, humans are typically the problem. <laughs> they're hopping onto machines. They're changing things outside of Windows. They're changing things and not documenting it, and so. Everything that I really did was to stop humans from screwing things up. So read-only file system, and not just from an, uh, like a resilience point of view as well, but security, right? Uh, the read-only nature and the ephemeral nature of Talos sort of has a dual purpose. It stops this human problem that I talk about, and it also, well, I guess this is also a human problem, but you know, outside attackers, maybe not self-inflicted, but inflicted by someone else who is trying to be malicious and and cause damage. And so what I started with was, let's just make this thing so minimal that there's really nothing a human can do. (laughs) And so I ripped out Bash, I ripped out SSH to stop people from getting on the box, and I just had a kernel running and the kublet. But then from an operations point of view, it became, okay, there's actually a problem right now. How How do I fix it? And back then it was look at console logs and try to figure out what was going on. And there's just not enough information there. And so I was left with the decision, you know, I could easily add SSH and bash and all the Unix utilities that I knew, but 
it took away from my very first goal of making it as minimal and you know sort of out of the way as possible and not useful to humans. So I decided to put an API instead. And so I decided to use gRPC because of the bidirectional communication that you can do. There's all kinds of fascinating things that you can do with gRPC. And so that's how the API was born. And then I started to see, wow, okay, this thing, first of all, solved my goal of just running Kubernetes with as bare minimal as possible and keeping humans off of the machine. But something really interesting came out of that, and that is the really strong security footprint that it has. And so there started to be more of an emphasis on how do we actually run Kubernetes more secure? So when you run Talos, you don't get just vanilla Kubernetes. It, it is vanilla, but we also configure it to the CIS benchmarks and STIG guidelines. We we go out of our way to secure Kubernetes for you, secure Linux, so much that like it, it's a it's a project called the Kernel Self Protection Project. You can't even load modules within kernel modules within Talos. You just can't do it. It's a completely static kernel that everything that is needed with it needs to be built with it at the time of build. So it just throws away a whole layer of security potential issues that you face. And so I just found a bunch of places where we could do this. And ultimately, it just becomes a really strong security tool as well. It goes back to, it's really hard to say what Talos is because it's Linux. It's also a very strong security tool. It's, it's Kubernetes and we, you know, it's got Kubernetes knowledge built into it. So yeah, that's sort of the, the origins of it. I just saw a problem that I was facing and I was tired of worrying about it and decided to go on a very long journey in fixing it. <laughs> in our previous call when we were chatting about this, you mentioned one time you said it that the, the OS has become a limitation as you were describing the, the problem space. And I think I know what you meant, but can you explain a bit what limitation the OS has become and why do you see it that way? Yeah, so to me, let's see. We have this project called the Common Operating System Interface, and its whole goal is to standardize how we work with Linux. And one of the things that I've always been frustrated with it is just how fragmented the whole Linux ecosystem is. Between one distribution or another, um, there's enough changes where it's not a simple cutover between one distribution or another. So um, your package manager is completely different. Decisions on the file system layout is completely different. Your network manager is completely different. The only place that we've sort of standardized is with system D. So I just grew really frustrated with the fact that there was very, very little inconsistency in, in the Linux world. And in some ways, that was kind of by design when they start, first started thinking about what Unix is. They just wanted independent programs that can, you know, solve very specific problems and you could pipe the output and input, you know, and all these things. But I think the number one problem with that has been that all of that communication with them has between them has been unstructured. And so we're left with finding all kinds of crazy sed and awk and grep and trim commands to make it work. And, you know, you can have whole cultural wars about whether or not you should use sed or awk and people find their favorite Unix utilities. So why not give these things a common way to communicate with each other? And so this limitation that I have found is that it's really hard for Linux to evolve because it's sort of still running on a way of thinking that's been around since the 70s. And there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. But I think with a lot of the innovation that has happened since then, why can't we bring some of these new ideas into the operating system? And so it starts with that, right? We need a structured way for processes to sort of communicate with each other instead of just depending on things like um, redirection and pipes and, and these utilities to sort of search for unstructured strings between different programs. But then furthermore, a lot of the maintenance work that's required within the Linux world is very much, um, it's not declarative. I mean, to put it simply, you as a human have to go in and make these things happen. So one of the things that I really appreciate about Kubernetes and really I think is really what makes Kubernetes Kubernetes is the whole operator or controller pattern that has come about with it and the whole event stream that you can get and how you can hook into those things and watch them. And you can make decisions in a centralized controller 
on what needs to be done based on events real time. And this is all within an application. It's not you, a human doing it. And so if you take this idea of having structured output between processes, a way for communication to happen between processes, and you take this controller pattern and you bring those into the operating system, suddenly your operating system can almost think for itself. Talos Linux actually doesn't have system D. We've written our own PID1. It's called we call it machine D. It's a Go binary, and it serves the same purpose of system D to be the init system. But one thing that's different about it is that it's completely based off of this idea of being controller-based and patterned, operator-based. So the networking controller, for example, can watch configuration changes. So when you hit the API of Talos and say, here's my new networking change, we can make a decision based on those things. What what needs to change? Well, etsyresolve.conf needs to change. Maybe we need to change some certificates because some subject alternative names need to be added for the new IP addresses. Or there's so many things that you could do with this API layer and with this controller pattern to make the operating system sort of roll things out on its own instead of you as a human saying, okay, we need to change this IP address. What else do we need to do to make sure that we don't go down? We need to update the certificates. We need to check this. We need to check that. And then furthermore, there's probably a bunch of files that you need to change and they all have different formats, right? EtsyResolve.conf has a certain format and based on which G is it glibc or is it muscle? You can't use certain features. You know, there's so many things to worry about. In the Talos world, we overcome these limitations by saying, okay, with this API, we can do validation before we even change anything. So we could just say right out, look, what you're requesting, we can't do this because of this. So validation on changes is just a huge thing that comes and and you can't get that in any other Linux distribution today. Um, And this controller pattern as well, where you just simply say, here's what I want instead of going and doing it yourself. These controllers within Linux go out and make that a reality for you. And so these are the limitations that I think we need to overcome with Linux. And that's why we've broken out this idea into a project of its own called the Common Operating System Interfaces, because we don't want these ideas to necessarily live just within Talos. In fact, our goal is to have Talos just be cozy, as we call it, um, C-O-S-I, just a cozy operating system with Talos just being a plugin that adds Kubernetes functionality into it. That's sort of the long-term vision with Talos. And then having Cozy be given to the world and let's, as an industry, standardize on this idea and let's figure out how can we make Linux just you know, be boring <laughs> and act more like Kubernetes. I, I know that doesn't sound fun. Obviously, I'm using the word boring, but I think that's where we need to go if we're going to start looking at Kubernetes-like things for distributed systems. I like this boring aspect because it means that you're putting your focus elsewhere. Exactly. I think Kubernetes was really, really fun in the beginning. I had a blast with it, and I'm sure a lot of people did and probably still do today. But what I'm finding myself wanting to do more is focus on my business logic. I don't want to worry about what kernel version I'm running anymore or what container runtime. You know, like there's... um, Cryo, there's Container D, you can even use Firecracker. Like there's so many options. They all do the same thing at the end of the day, really. I don't want to worry about those little decisions anymore. And maybe clouds or people who really have a need will think about it. But I don't think the common use case is you just need to run your application in the most secure production way possible with as little thinking as possible and the ability to have your business logic layered on top of that. And this goes back into the whole limitations with, with Linux. Your your business requirements may be you know, running STIG hardening guidelines against your machines. Well, that just comes with Talos out of the box. you know. And this controller pattern, you could even write custom operators that hook into the Talos APIs and Kubernetes APIs that contain all of your business logic and you don't worry about Linux. You don't worry about your application. You just tell Kubernetes what you want for your app. You tell Talos what you want from Linux and your business logic simply is a, is a layer that translates what you want into configuration that you push into a system that knows how to roll that out. I think it's awesome. It's just really, really, really cool. Hi, it's Mark again. We shouldn't be asking why Kubernetes in 2022, but it's great to ask how Kubernetes. Efficode is a Kubernetes certified service provider and can help you achieve your business goals. We've also recently recorded a fantastic podcast on platform teams. 
If you would like to answer the WHO Kubernetes, please have a listen. I'll leave some links for you in the show notes. Now let's get back to our show. Can you can you help a little bit? Uh, you, you've already said a lot of these words, but like why a company or a software organization should choose Talos now? You you said a lot of different kind of points, but can you can you succinctly make this case for us? Well, I am just a CTO, so this will be very, very hard for me because I'm a tech nerd and I'm not good at sales, but I'll do my best. <laughs> um, really, if you are a team that doesn't want to have to focus on Kubernetes, doesn't want to have to focus on Linux, or maybe you don't have the expertise on your team, Talos has that expertise. It is sort of an extension of your team. Our, our goal is to have Talos be a living, breathing operating system that knows how to react to certain things. You don't need to worry about security. You don't need to worry about hardening Kubernetes. You don't need to worry about deploying Kubernetes the hard way. You just tell the system what you want. And quite literally, you can spin up Talos from an ISO on a, three machines within your bare metal infrastructure and have an HA Kubernetes cluster up and running within 30 minutes. It's just simply boot Talos, supply it configuration, and you're off to the races. You're not worrying about you know how to install the kubelet. You're not worried about how to harden Linux. You're not having to worry about how to harden Kubernetes. You get that all out of the box. So if you want to save time, you want to have something more secure, I think you know Talos is definitely the way to go. What advantages would we have when running this, for example, in the cloud? Because in the cloud, you can already have things a bit more locked up with VPCs and no acts, no you know internal networks only. You get a control plane, which is managed by the cloud providers, and they throw whatever resources. Uh, so some of the benefits, of course, will translate. And having the same thing on-prem as in the cloud, of course, is an operational benefit. But is there any other goodies you get? from running this also in the cloud. Yeah, I I think that I think the cloud definitely solved this but in just different ways. In the cloud world, for example, um, let's just take a look at the managed kubernetes offerings out there. You don't have to worry about the man, the control plane, but that has some caveats with it. You're now limited on how fast that cloud moves as far as Kubernetes versions goes. You can't change the control plane in any way that you might see fit or need for your business requirements. OIDC providers, or maybe you do want to use some alpha features. Who knows? It's your decision. Um, so what we like to say is that we give you a managed-like experience with Telos, but not limiting you and stopping you from sort of tweaking the knobs and changing things if you really, really need to. Um, you also get the benefits of, I think there's a lot of benefit in just having a Linux distribution that humans can't hop on and change things. Because even though from the outside world, the cloud may harden things and whatnot, you can look at CVEs that have been put out recently by clouds where <laughs> they're installing agents onto the Linux distribution, which opens up your VM to other tenants on the same hardware. In the Talos world, you can't do that. You just simply can't install this agent. And even if you did get access to the system, what could you actually do? There's no shell. There's no Unix utilities. You could run IP tables commands maybe or something like that. There's just 35 binaries on Talos and there's most of them are hard linked to IP tables command. So if security is something that you want, which I think everyone should want, even if you are running the most simplest of things, because who wants their stuff broken into? I think Talos is very appealing because these cloud providers are still running what I call legacy Linux, and there's still ways for intacts to happen behind the scenes internally. Uh, with Talos, you just, you know, that just can't happen. Okay, I'll buy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Andrew, you reminded me of a term we used to talk about, infinitely malconfigurable. So this is something that you prevent with Talos. <laughs> prevent humans from going in and, oh, well, if I just do it this way or if I just do it that way, it'll solve a problem for today without knowing what kind of problems that we create tomorrow. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's exactly right. And And even worse, you end up with a production system that no one wants to touch because... That change, no one knows what was changed and 
no one wants to touch it. So now you're running three versions of Kubernetes behind and you're on the cusp of being in an unsupported version of Kubernetes because you have inconsistency. So what kind of companies, what kind of industries are running this and what kind of uh, real world production experience has this been uh, exposed to? Yeah, so the people that are running purely in the cloud, um, I wouldn't even say that. Maybe I would rather say the people that are running purely in a single cloud. So if you're all in on AWS or you're all in on Azure, those folks, they don't see the the benefits of Talos just yet. And that's fine. You know, use your AWS's EKS and and the Azure's AKS's, whatever. That's perfectly fine. But the people who are running in multiple clouds are finding a lot of value in Talos because of, again, consistency. You don't have this version of Kubernetes offered by EKS and this one by AKS. You can be more sure about the security practices and consistency there. So your tool set even, you know, maybe you're using CloudFormation in AWS or Terraform in Azure, or these are two different teams altogether that are maintaining Kubernetes in two completely different ways. The companies that are starting to use Talos in these situations are finding a lot of value in collapsing multiple tools down to just one set of tools. And when you know that there's something wrong in one cluster, you know there's it's wrong in another. So you just fix it everywhere. So this consistency story just allows people to sleep a lot better at night. Um, So if you're running in multiple clouds, you know, there's definitely people out there doing that. But I would also say that the bulk of our users are doing some form of purely on-premise or cloud and on-premise. Because again, the consistency story, I know I sound like a broken record at this point, but really... Like Talos, the same image that you run in AWS is the same image that you run on-premise. Talos just has different capabilities of what it can do in the cloud or what it can do on-premise as far as like where it downloads its configuration from and how you can give configuration to it. So industries that want to run on-premise for whatever reason, typically that's because they have uh, really like databases that have high performance requirements. And so running that in the cloud is very, very costly. So they run those applications sort of in-house, on-premise, but then maybe their stateless apps are in the cloud. So let's run Talos there as well. So we have this consistency and we can save some money and not have to buy all this hardware on-premise. So they use both. In the EU in particular, they're a little more adverse to... Um, to running in the clouds. And I think for good reason, (laughs) they don't want to run that. They tend to want to run their own clouds. And so we're, we have a very large portion of users that are running Talos purely on premise, whether that's VMs and VMware, Proxmox, whatever your hypervisor of choice is, or the biggest thing out there, which seems to be clicking is Talos on bare metal. People are starting to see these benefits of not having to worry about Linux and not having to worry about the underlying infrastructure, that actually means now, I don't, that's why we have our hypervisors, because I don't want to have to worry about these things. Let's just have an operating system that runs directly on the metal, and I don't have to worry about it. It's just there, and I just get Kubernetes. And so you start to save money because you don't have to pay for hypervisor licenses anymore. There's just all kinds of benefits there. So that's that's one sort of style, right? I call these more like traditional data center type users. We also have a whole nother class of users out there that are running Talos on the edge. So whether that's Raspberry Pis or even beefier edge machines from HP or Supermicro or whatever. But again, you could run on a Raspberry Pi the same version, same image bit for bit of Talos that you run on a Dell R630 in your data center or in a T2 micro in AWS. It's the same image. And so there's some patterns coming out right now where people are running Talos at the edge, and then they're using a feature that we have called KubeSpan, which is actually built on top of WireGuard, which would allow you to have this edge machine join a control plane that lives in the cloud. So at the edge, you don't need three machines anymore just for the control plane and to waste that hardware. You can just have your control plane live somewhere within that region. And then using WireGuard, they can reach back out into the and join Kubernetes that way. And so people are starting to deploy Talos 
at the edge in that fashion. They're deploying single node clusters at the edge as well. Um, again, the security reasons, benefits. We have encryption of disks and all these things. And even if you do get access to the machine, what can you really change? So the edge use case is really starting to explode for us, I think, um, where people are wanting to run Kubernetes at just really remote locations. We have people running Kubernetes in shipping yards, down in mines. We have people running Talos just in places that personally, to be frank, I would be scared to run Kubernetes, but Talos is handling it quite well and has been doing it for about two years now. Is there anything else in Cedero Labs which would be useful for getting these uh, metal on edge kind of uh, installations going? Yes. Um, so we do have a, a project. It's called Cedero Metal, and it's built on top of um, the Cluster API technology. And what it is, is really, if you want to use Cluster API's terminology, is it's an infrastructure provider. So in the Cluster API world, you have your, your core thing that it brings this notion of machines it brings this notion of clusters and you could define machines and clusters using yaml in the same way that you define your application stack using deployments or daemon sets or however you do that um, the idea with cluster api is let's use kubernetes to manage other kubernetes clusters so you deploy a set of controllers and custom resource definitions to a cluster and suddenly you can create other kubernetes clusters and within this system, they have the notion of an infrastructure provider. An infrastructure provider just simply says, I know how to spin up a VM in AWS or a VM in Azure or VMware or a bare metal machine in Equinix Metal. Um, Sidero Metal is an infrastructure provider that knows how to manage bare metal machines. So it'll use uh, the BMC to power cycle the machines, turn the machines on, force them to Pixie boot. It comes with TFTP server, iPixie, Pixie, that whole infrastructure so that you can Pixie boot Talos. It has an agent that knows how to scrape information off of a server so that when you first boot a server off of this off of this Pixie system, we'll actually register it with this, with this Kubernetes cluster as a CRD. It's just kubectl get servers, and you can get a whole list of all your servers and all the hardware, disks, memory, what have you. And then from there, you just say, okay, I want a Kubernetes cluster and I want these types of machines. Because within Sidero Metal, you could have what we call server classes. So you can qualify specific hardware where you could say, okay, I want machines with a super micro motherboard with this product number and this much RAM and this type of CPU at this clock speed. These are my T2 micros in my data center. And so then you can just go and say, kubectl apply some YAML files that say, give me a Kubernetes cluster that is made up of five of these T2 micros that are in my data center. And so decisions are made. We'll just say, okay, let's pick any of them because we have 20 of them currently available, ready to go. And uh, we'll power cycle those machines. We'll turn them on, pixie boot it, install Talos. We'll supply configuration to those machines once they're up. We'll bootstrap etcd. All of these things that you typically would do manually is just all within this system in a very declarative way. So um, Sidero Metal is our cluster API infrastructure provider for your on-premise bare metal needs. Fantastic. Can you give us any um, idea, Andrew, please? Uh, what are the what are the kind of companies that are running today? Like, uh, I, I guess you probably have NDAs and can't talk about specific customers, but could you give us like classes of customers or, you know, who... Who can we reference here? Yeah. Um, so we, the telco space seems to be really popular with us. These folks tend to run very complicated on-premise setups, and you know they're they're doing all kinds of complex networking. And Talos is working out very well for those types of folks. There's also um, people that are running Kubernetes in like manufacturing floors and stuff like that. So. You're um, having Kubernetes manage the application, which manages hardware, building things on your manufacturing floor. And Talos gives you a really strong way to do that as well. I'd say FinTech is also very much interested in what we're doing. Uh, the government space is really blowing up for us right now because of all the security benefits and the, and the fact that you could run it anywhere is very, very appealing. So... Places, I would say, in general that have a need for security, security are really 
seeing the uh, the value of of Talos and places that don't want to run in the cloud. Because again, you get this cloud-like experience, this managed-like experience, but without having to depend on the cloud. Kubernetes is sort of your cloud, and Talos is the thing that delivers that without having to really think about it. Cool. Is there anything new that you'd like to, to share or anything that you'd like to add? Yeah. Um, so I mentioned that we're building out, uh, we have this product called Sidero Metal, which is based on cluster API. And for the most part, we've been pretty happy with that. But we've also found that cluster API was built with the limitations of traditional Linux built in mind. The fact that SSH is needed or you can't run a Kubernetes cluster across multiple infrastructure providers. So what if what if I want to run Talos on-premise and burst out to the cloud in maybe peak hours or something like that? Using KubeSpan, that's totally possible. Using more traditional ways or, or more traditional Linux distributions, this is very, very difficult to do because you've got to handle all kinds of key exchanges and stuff for WireGuard. It's just not a very fun process. And so for good reason, people have sort of avoided this way of thinking of hybrid Kubernetes clusters. But with Talos, this is a simple Boolean flag. You just say kubespan enabled true within the configuration and you could spin up. I, I did a um, I did a live stream on Twitch once where um, I had a cluster spun up in my closet and I had people joining from Amsterdam, Spain, Portugal. I had someone in the Netherlands joining a node or trying to, uh, but I don't think they had good enough internet, uh, joining a node on a high-speed train. <laughs> you know, we we formed this cluster that was made up from machines from all over the world, and it's just a simple Boolean flag. So my point here is that Talos really opens up new ways of thinking and new architecture patterns that you can really start to do. And Cluster API was not built with these things in mind. And so we grew, we sort of hit a wall, if you will, or hit a, hit the ceiling, if you will, with, with Cluster API. And so we're starting to work on a new product called Omni, which is our way of managing Kubernetes. And we want to bring all of the principles and all of the philosophy of Talos into managing Talos itself. And so it's pretty cool. Um, the way that this works is you just simply boot Talos with three extra kernel parameters. And these kernel parameters tell Talos three things. It tells Talos where to register itself and also the token to do so. The second one tells Talos where to send console logs to. You can tell the kernel to ship off all console logs to some remote location. Um, so if you don't have Talos API access, you could just, you know, you see these this console output like IPMI tool saw activate. The third thing is it tells Talos where to send all events to. And these events are used by this product to make decisions on the state of the machine. And so you boot Talos with these three kernel parameters. It uses WireGuard to join the system so you can have these machines out in the middle of nowhere and they don't need a whole lot of complex networking they just simply need two ports port 443 which is typical and a wire guard port so that they can have egress out to this service and once they join we can establish this tunnel so that we can send commands to talos this would be nearly impossible with traditional linux having the ssh over this it would just I say nearly impossible. It, it's definitely doable, but at the end of the day, it would be held together with stick and tape and gum. It would just not be fun. With the Talos world, we just establish a simple wire guard tunnel, and we can use the APIs to manage these machines remotely from anywhere in the world. And so once they register with this system, you just simply say, I want a Kubernetes cluster. Click, click, click. Make it with these machines. We generate configuration for you. You can supply patches. So if you need to do something specific, going back to the limitations of the cloud, if you need to add something to the control plane, that's just a simple patch. We'll merge your business logic, your business needs in with the underlying configuration that we generate. And um, I'm really excited about this product because it's just a platform for us to do all kinds of other things. We're, we're talking about like, you know, we could do managed upgrades of Kubernetes, managed upgrades of Talos. You don't even have to worry about that anymore. And we can use APIs and health checks to really make sure it's done robustly, not depending on SSH. We can have bi-directional communication between the node itself and Omni, as we call this product, to make decisions on what needs to be done next. We're looking at building in high levels of security with this. So 
one of the features built into Talos, or it's not a feature just yet, but one of the things built into the kernel, it's called the integrity measurement architecture. It's a Linux technology that allows you to sign using the extended attributes of a file. You can you basically write the SHA of the file the, to the contents of the file, and then you cryptographically sign those extended attributes and the kernel won't even open that it it just won't even allow any operation on a file unless it's signed by a key that it knows and the SHA matches the expected value this is really really powerful because this is not just immutability anymore by just being read-only this is cryptographically enforced immutability so within this product you could supply a key we could build a custom version of Talos with you, sign every file within there with your key, and now your operating system is running completely immutable, but not just dependent on read-only parameters. It's just cryptographically, you cannot do this. It's just not possible to do so. We could sign your workload potentially in the future. So when you run containers, all of your containers need to be signed with this key. There's just it's just a platform for us to do so much and use Talos to the fullest and really just ask ourselves what does an API driven operating system allow us to do on these types of tooling this management system um, the new Ansibles of the world if you will and this is this is what Omni is for us at the moment. <laughs> what do you think of that, Andy? I was lucky enough to have a demo of that uh, uh, last week, and it's rather impressive. Of course, the demo was a, a subset of, of of all the ideas coming to fruition, but it was really, really impressive. I'm really excited about this. It just it just makes so much sense, Andrew. Everything that you're talking about, it's like we've the evolution of things are, is moving so fast right now. I'm going to try to summarize. Uh, maybe not if you're in a single cloud, but if you're doing edge computing, um, hybrid, on-prem, multi-cloud, um, any of those, uh, Talos Linux can give you an orchestrated, declarative, maintainable, secure environment so you can focus on business logic and creating value. Yeah. And with your permission, I'm going to steal that and put that on our website. <laughs> I, I think you nailed it. <laughs> my, my pleasure. Um, uh, this is really fantastic, Andrew. Uh, thank you so much. I've got two f uh, final questions that we've uh, we've started asking everybody that comes on the podcast. Sure. Um, the first one is putting you on the spot now. Think back. Uh, the first thing that you can remember, maybe when you were a child, um, as far back as you can go, what's the first thing you wanted to be when you grow up? Oh, that is a good question. As far back as I can remember, I, I, I remember baseball was very, very big in my family. Um, I wanted to be a baseball player, and I'd always promised my mom I'm going to become the next uh, – oh, man, I forget this guy's name, but he was leadoff batter for the Dodgers. I think his name was Brett Butler. He was fast. Uh, he was leadoff batter. He batted left-handed, and it was very much like me. And I would always tell my mom I'm going to be awesome. like Brett Butler and buy you a house one day. <laughs> Are you a southpaw? Are you left-handed? Uh, I am not a southpaw. No. Uh, it was strange because everything else I do right-handed, but I only batted left. Ah, okay. All right. All right. Cool. Uh, second question. Um, so, uh, is there a point in your life where you either uh, realized that you needed to change the path you're on or maybe something crystallized that you're on the right path? Yeah, I think I've had uh, plenty of those. Uh, my path, I would say, is a little more untraditional. I um, I had a kid when I was 18, and so I had to uh, – well, I dropped out of high school. I got my GED later on. I had a kid when I was 18. I got into construction, and I was just kind of you know doing what I could to, to survive. I even got into um, – mixed martial arts and fighting. Uh, that was the next big athletic thing I thought I was going to be as a professional fighter. Did pretty well at that. But I remember um, I was living I was living in my car and there was a, a family who, they're basically my family now, I was training their, their son how to box. And they found out that I was living in my car and they brought me into their house. And they told me, well, if you're going to live here, you got to go to school. So <laughs> here I was, you know, I was just basically homeless living out of a car for about a year, year and a half. And um, they're telling me I got to go to school. I was 25, maybe, you know. And so 
I got into community college and I, I did a, a report because I was still very much into fighting on the effects of boxing and getting hit in the head. And because um, at the time I was very much convinced I was still going to become, you know, a great fighter and all of these things. But I started to realize school is very, very important and getting hit in the head probably takes away from my ability to do that important thing. So <laughs> the data showed that getting hit in the head is not healthy. And so I, I sort of, um, I still struggle with it because I love the, I love the sport and, um, I, you know, I could have done really well in it, but I had to do what I had to do to support my family. I now have three kids. And so that moment, eventually I decided to just commit to school and I got into UCSB for physics. And that's where, um, now today I'm in Santa Barbara and we haven't left. And so that was, uh, it's not a really a single moment. I'd say it was, it was, a about a year's worth of a lot of digging and changes that really set me to where I am today. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic story. <laughs> and you've, you've been a really fantastic guest, Andrew. Um, I'm so happy that you're here. And I, I think this is going to, uh, I think that Talos is going to have a, a wonderful impact, uh, not only for our customers, but this is the way things should be done, I think. So thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you. I, it was a pleasure. I appreciate you having me. And thank you once again, Andy, for a very good interview. Yep, thanks. All right. Uh, this is Mark with the DevOps Sauna podcast signing off. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Both Andrew and Andy can be found in social media, and I'm sure they're eager to continue the conversation around the subjects. We'll leave their profiles in the show notes for you. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast and give us a rating on your platform. It means the world to us. Also, check out our other episodes for interesting and exciting talks. Finally, before we sign off, let's give Andrew and Andy an opportunity to introduce themselves. I say now take care of yourselves and remember, if you're asking why Kubernetes, <laughs> you're way behind. I'm Andrew Reinhardt. I'm the founder and CTO of Sidero Labs and creator of Talos Linux. I've been working with Kubernetes since 1.8 and have been working with containers when they were beta back when Docker was founded somewhere around 2013. Ever since then, I've really fallen in love with containers and Linux. And today I'm happy to be the founder of Sidera Labs. Hi, my name's Andy Allred. I've been in Finland for over 20 years already. I started my career in the U.S. Navy in nuclear-powered fast-attack submarines doing all kinds of cool tech stuff and learning that uh, tech is there to serve a mission which people have. And then I've spent my career in IT and mostly telecoms, figuring out how tech can serve the mission of people. <laughs>